Okay, okay. I see what's happening here. You're face to face with a prophet of God and it's strange. You don't even know how to feel. It's adorable, brothers and sisters. It's nice to know that Mormons never change. <clears throat> it's nice to know that members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints never change. So shut your eyes tight. Let's begin. Yes, it's really me, Russie. Breathe it in. I know it's a lot, the thinning hair, the deteriorating bod, and also calling home teaching, home teaching, and having both an elder's and a high priest's quorum, meeting for three whole hours every Sunday, and using a nickname like Mormon that's basically like crucifying our Lord and Savior all over again with every single mention. It's all a lot, but it's my turn now. And lucky for you, I speak to God. What can I say except... <laughs> this is Infants on Thrones. The philosophies of men mingled with humans. We are the core. Welcome back to Infants on Thrones. I'm Glenn Ostland, and today is November 5th, 2018, the three-year anniversary of the now infamous policy change, where the church previously known as Mormon declared formal war on homosexuals and their children. This war is still raging, brothers and sisters, and to commemorate the rise of the resistance, it is my pleasure to re-release our now infamous Disney songs for kids of gay sinning sinners which is the name the Lord really wanted us to call it all along. So don't make the devil happy by calling it anything else. So today you're going to hear that episode re-released. And then after that, I have some additional things that I want to say about our upcoming essay contest and the way that Patreon has been working for us over the past year. And then I'm going to share with you another taste of the weekly Patreon-only Jeremy Goff Smackdown content. <laughs> I also want to remind you that there's a new survey to fill out. Thank you to everyone who has filled it out in the past few days. Your feedback, whether it's positive or negative, is important to me. So if you haven't already, please go to our website, infantsonthrones.com, and take a few minutes to let me know what you think of the podcast. And now, this. It's a world of laughter, a world of fun, where our Savior died to save everyone. But if your folks are gay, then you just have to wait. It's a straight world after all. It's a straight world after all. It's a straight world after all. Casings of your dad upon you fall. It's a straight, straight. Just one church and one prophet true And he talks to God and to me and you It's important to know If you're down another man blows Then God has a special plan just for you You can watch your friends get baptized But, but you, you can't. can't You can watch them get the priesthood But, but you, you can't. can't You can watch them go on youth temple trips But, but you, you can't Cause it's a straight world after It's a straight world after all. 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 It
sits on thrones, the philosophies of men mingled with humans. We are the core. Welcome back to Infants on Thrones. This is Glenn Osland doing a bad Casey Kasem slash Will Forte Saturday Night Live sports guy slash radio announcer voice to bring you another top musical countdown thingy. No, it's not disco this time, but hey there, do you love the Mormon Church? And do you love sing-along smackdowns of the Mormon Church? And do you love children? And do you love that special, most magical kingdom place on the earth to kids, Disneyland? Well, we here at Infants on Thrones wondered what would happen if we mixed all those things together. And this is what we came up with. So let's start off with our very own Bob as he gives us a glimpse into President Oak's twisted but oh-so-straight Zeezrom lawyer-esque brain. Hello, children. My name is Elder Oaks. Sing along with me. Everybody wants to be a straight. Because a straight's the only straight who knows how to mate. But everybody's picking up that homo scene. Because every other sin is super clean. Now the church with its scorn can make you wish you weren't born every time we speak. And with faith and no facts, we can set progress back to the caveman days. I've heard some crazy gays who try to explain, but a straight's the only straight whose kids can remain. Who wants to dig a long head gig and stuff like that? When everybody wants to be a straight. Now the church with its scorn can make you wish you weren't born every time we speak. And with faith and no facts, we can set progress back to the caveman days. Oh, a rinky-tinky-tinky. Everybody wants to be a cat. Straight. Because a cat Straight. is a cat who knows where it's at. When playing dance, you always has a welcome mat. Because everybody digs a swinging cat. Straight. I turn you on. I play. Blow. Where where do I blow? What do I blow? Now, kids, this is very beautiful music that can be used to attract the opposite sex. Uh, Gender. Gender. I I said sex. very lovely. Just enjoying it so much. Where every note is out of by, by notes, you mean women. Oh, I love this part. Straight, straight, 
name of homophobic Jesus, amen. Amen, indeed. But let's pause this bad boy for a moment and set the table here to remind ourselves that groovy President Oaks and his friends who pretend to speak to God and set his policies on the earth just made some significant changes to the way members of the church are taught to view homosexuals and the children of homosexual parents. First, any man or woman who legally enters into a same-sex marriage is now considered an apostate. Second, any infant child of a man or woman in a homosexual relationship cannot receive a name and a blessing, cannot be baptized or confirmed when they're eight, cannot receive the priesthood and participate in male teen priesthood activities, and cannot serve a mission until they turn 18 and demonstrate to Mormon leaders that they decry and despise the practice of gender equality in marriage. But don't worry, all you kids out there who might feel left behind in your peer group or ostracized in any way, because the Mormon church is looking out for you. As explained in this song by Glenn from Toy Story, You Got a Friend in Me. You got a friend in me. You got a friend in me. When you're 18 and renounce your moms and that sinful lifestyle that does them harm, then you can get baptized and be confirmed. Yeah, you have a friend in me. Then you have a friend in me. I know it might sound strange. When you hear us every Sunday say Baptism, confirmation of the priesthood stuff, son The greatest, neatest of celestial fun Your friends, I get them as you twiddle your thumbs, boy But we're only protecting you Cause somehow you got a friend in me I know we got that article of faith that says, baby Man will be punished for his own sins and not for Adam's too, maybe. But don't forget Mosiah 13, 13. For I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquities of the fathers upon the children, unto the third and fourth generations of them that hate me. Cause that scripture too, we pick and choose, boy. And as the years go by, exclusion might make you cry. But don't blame us, kid. Blame your dad. Cause he's the one hating on Jesus and making him mad. We're only looking out for your kids, so don't let anybody fool you. You got a friend in me. Yeah, you do, kid. You got a friend in me, kid. I'm only looking out for you. So why don't you go tell your mom or your dad how abominable their lifestyle is and what they're keeping you from. Because you see it and you feel it every day at church. But it's you and me, kid. You and me. That's right. No need to feel bad for the kids. The Mormon church is not targeting kids or alienating kids. That's totally just a myth, people. One of, I don't know, eight or nine. It's all just, look... Stop feeling bad for the kids, okay? This is Disney music, meant to make kids happy. 
I know that the Mormon church got a bad rap in the past for all that Prop 8 mumbo-jumbo, as if they were severe and vindictive and nasty, but they're really just an organization of love full of rainbows and mormonsandgays.org and letting people live in the same housing areas as non-gay people and mutual respect, and this policy is just an extension of all that charitable, Christ-like, don't let the beam in your own eye block out the view of the mode in your neighbor's eye way of living. So let's hear what Heather has to say about this with her take from The Little Mermaid, Poor Unhetero Souls. We'll admit that in the past we've been quite nasty. They weren't kidding when they called us cruel and strange. But you'll find that nowadays we've mended all our ways, repented, seen the light, and made a change. True? No. And, well, fortunately, we have all the power. In the game of life, we make up the rules. And here lately, please don't laugh, we use them on behalf of our fellow homophobic bags of tools, not those pathetic, poor, unfortunate souls. Those kids of gays. This one longing to be baptized, that one wants to get confirmed, and do we let them? Child, please. Those poor unhetero souls, so fierce, so bold. They'll come flocking to our chapels, crying, bless this baby, please, and will we help them? Oh, hell no. All right, let's hang on a minute here. I'm not really sure what's going on right now. This is supposed to be a pro-children, pro-LDS church message, right? Uh, You know what I think we need? We need some confirmation of truth from our old friend, Holy the Ghost. Holy will bail us out here. Hey, Glenn, tell us what Holy has to say. George is getting angry. When you get in trouble and you don't know right from wrong, call your little Holy. Call your little Holy. Because when kids turn eight and baptized, water makes you clean. You get a little Holy. I'm your little holy. The gift of the Holy Ghost to always be with you. More special than those without this gift, because I'll be your constant companion. Confirmation is so important, we give it to all the kids, except in certain cases. Special certain cases. Like if your dad is legally and lovingly married to another guy. So you're saying that this actually is for my own benefit and it's being done to protect me? Of course, because we love all children and because Jesus and we're not monsters. We just don't want you to be confused between the truth and the gay lifestyle. So you'd rather that I stay safe in the confines of that gay lifestyle than receive the baptism Jesus wants all other kids to have and have that special gift of the Holy Ghost that will help all the other kids make good decisions during the teen years, but I'm basically just shit out of luck? Uh Uh-huh, that's right. But it's not like we won't let you still get blessings when you're sick or need comfort that may not actually be effective in healing or comforting you. Wow, thanks. So hey! If you start feeling bad, missing out on these cool things, call your little holy. Call your little holy. And maybe by the time you're 18, if you renounce the abomination of your gay parents' lifestyle, maybe just then, I'll come around. Maybe. You know what? 
I'm starting to think that this new policy isn't really progress at all. In fact, it feels a little bit like, I don't know, maybe some kind of punitive segregation policy from the 1950s. Let's see what Brother Jake has to say about that with his take from Aladdin, An Old New World. I can show you a world where all is just as it should be. Tell me, sister, when did it you last let the church decide? I can open your eyes to powers of rationalization. Over sideways and under as we try and roll back time An old new world Just like it's 1952 Because the kids of gays are second rate And no one should forget it An old new world I think that's something I can do just say it's from above and out of love I'll help preserve that old new world for you. We can make an old new world Unbelievable sights Indescribable feelings Trying to tell people why this isn't bigotry An old new world It's okay to justify It's better with the stats on gays in latter days. You can't go back to how it An used to be. Why can't they be blessed again? Just like it's 1950. Was it really that much better? You we can just, just roll, roll back time, time on a dime. I will make an old new world for you. An old new. Special place, a screwed up place, a bigotry. Families are forever, am I right? High five. Yeah, I, I don't know how to say this, but I'm breaking up with you. That felt great. I gotta admit it. I'm still a little confused here, because, look, everyone, the Mormon church has been making a ton of progress over the years. I mean, just look at all the progress that it's made, like reversing the racist priesthood ban in 1978. That's a pattern, right? That one thing that happened back then? Isn't that proof that they'll do the same thing eventually for women and for gays? Oh, dear. If only there were a smart infant, someone with a Ph.D.-ish in history who could bring instant credibility to this conundrum. I know. Let's see what John Hamer has to say about this with his cover of A Circle of Life from The Lion King. This is one data point. Big liar, ha! Stadiga, possum pretender, ya! My pretender, big liar, 
big liar, no voice of the Lord. For years and for years we have heard it. Though behind we're on the true path. In 78, they opened the gate. Women's rights will be not far behind. We're inching our way to inclusion. Letting in all those we've kept out. The lift on the van is step one of the plan. Change will come, we've been left with no doubt. From one data point, we've drawn a line. Imagine the sure what that all means, but since John Hamer said it, I'm sure it's smart, and it's definitely right. And look, let's take a break from all this heavy stuff and hear what Matt and Kristen have to say about their lovely friend, Belle. I'm sure that Belle is just a lovely girl living in a lovely Mormon town with one straight dad and not two gay ones, and no rumors whatsoever being spread about by her neighborly brothers and sisters about her sexuality. They just simply love her and know far better than to judge her. I'm right, right? Am I right? 
I sure hope I'm right. Mormon town, it's a perfect village. Every day, like the one before. Mormon town, full of Mormon people. Waking up to say, Hello, my name is Sister Long. There goes the bishop, he seems nice like always Though he looks sideways at me still Every morning just the same Since the morning that we came to this little Mormon town Good morning, Belle Good morning, Bishop Where are you off to? Seminary I just finished the most amazing story about Nephi, a sword, and him cutting off Laban's yeah, head Yeah, that's nice Brother Allen, I need to speak to you about Titan Settlement there she, she goes, that girl is strange, no question. I hear her dad is gay as well. Never named him blessed at birth. Wasn't baptized or confirmed. No, no denying she's a funny girl, that bell. Hello. Good day. How is your family? My son, he's eight. Gonna get baptized. That's great. You know, it's so important. Uh, there must be more than this. There she goes, that girl is so peculiar. It's cause her fathers live in sin. I don't think that that's her fault. You know, Adam's transgression and all. Oh, don't listen to that liberal nonsense. Oh, isn't this alarming? This is silly that I'm an It's no wonder that she is so liberal. She's got progressive views as well. She seems nice, but that's a facade. I'm afraid she's rather odd. Her father makes her different from the rest of us. She's nothing like the rest of us. She's different from the rest of us. She goes a good strange, not special. A most peculiar mademoiselle. It's a pity and a sin. She doesn't quite fit in. But she really is a different girl. A beauty, but a different girl. She really is a different girl. Well, wasn't that simply magnificent? And weird. And totally fictional, because I'm sure there aren't any real girls like that anywhere in the church. In fact, let's listen to Glenn's daughter, Shaylee, tell us what it's really like to be a young, faithful, teenage girl being raised in the Mormon church. She just wants to be part of their world. Maybe they're right. Maybe there is something the matter with me. I just don't see how a person who feels love for other people could be bad. Look at this church. Isn't it neat? 
My family and friends, my whole world here complete. Wouldn't you know I'm a girl, a girl who has everything. Activity days, girls camp too. Great Sunday dresses and great Sunday shoes. Looking around here, you think, sure, it has everything. I've sung hymns and borne testimonies plenty. Had group dates to stake dances galore. Dear John RMs, I've done 20. But who cares? No big deal. I want more. I've got a secret that no one knows. When I'm in love, sometimes it's with women. Not that that's wicked or gross, or that I'm a, what's that word again? Oh, apostate. I love the gospel that teaches love. I learned about service, forgiveness, charity, even shutting my eyes to that. What's that all around me at church? Judgment and hypocrisy. I want to walk, I want to run, being a And be part of this world What would I give If I could live out in the open But now they say If you are gay You'll impact your kids Guess I should stay Inside where it's safe And I'll just repress my emotions Could be healthy To be stealthy And just conform Cause I just want to love In the church I love Want to have children forever Families don't want to hurt them Or make them, what's the word? Second class kids When's it my turn? Why can't I love? How could my heavenly fall? Now, that's not what I was expecting her to say at all. What kind of lousy father would allow his daughter to come on a podcast and admit something atrocious like that for the whole world to hear? Or at least for dozens and dozens of listeners. A daughter like that will never make it to the Celestial Kingdom. She will never see Kolob. Am I right, Randy? Randy, sing us a song, Randy. Make all this pain go away. If you want to see Kolob, you're dead.
she does stuff to those he loves. The truth of the everlasting gospel that we are protectors of. Trust us. I'm not sure that all this fixating on the new Mormon children alienation and exclusion policy is really all that healthy. Maybe we should just let it go. Hmm, let it go. Too bad there's not a Disney song about that. But you know, a wise person once whispered sweetly into my virtual ear that a cynical person may say the church has realized that the best predictor of whether a person is likely to be a gay sympathizer is having a close relationship to a gay person and that the church is now willing to cut out the cancer of gay sympathizers from its midst even if that policy makes otherwise blameless children a casualty of this hatchet surgeon's hatchet surgery job. But as Heather explains in this instant classic of her own declaration, that's not it at all. The gay lifestyle is abhorrent to us, and them having kids is obscene. If we keep them in isolation, maybe they won't turn into queens. Couldn't stop gay marriage, now their kids might come inside. And get gay on our kids, that must be denied. Don't let the gays give their kids names. Don't let their sons join our priesthood games. Congeal our zeal, let our hate show. Wow, this new policy actually has me a little worried now. Sort of afraid, actually. But maybe the leadership is afraid as well. Maybe they see the trend that the world is going, that more and more people are accepting that it really is no sin for two people of the same gender to love each other, even in icky physical ways. 
And maybe the church did this intentionally to make gay parents stay hidden in the closet for the sake of keeping their kids from being alienated at church. And what's even worse, to keep their kids from having necessary ordinances withheld from them. Ordinances that they've been taught their entire lives were absolutely necessary for salvation, but now don't seem to be quite so important to the brethren as keeping the kids from having to choose between two parents with differing ideologies. That never seemed to be an issue in the past. But then again, they also used to say that one of the reasons homosexuality is so wrong is because it's unnatural and no kids can come from that union. But now, of course, there are kids, and those kids have a special scarlet letter on them and are marching out for the whole world to see. No, no, not scarlet, pink. They're afraid of pink homo kids. They're afraid of pink homo kids on parade. Oh, Glenn, what have you done to us this time? Look out! Look out! Pink homo kids on parade, here they come, our nation is crumbling. Boy Scouts, gay marriage, pink homo kids everywhere. Look out! Look out! They're passing the sacrament, excrement, tolerance everywhere. Gay dad, gay mom, pink homo kids love them all. What should we do? What should we do? Write an official FU. I recall there was a time, a big argument of mine, with gay people when intertwined can't naturally multiply. But now we see just how it is, there's higher ways of getting kids, we can't abide accepting this, your tolerance came up in minds. What a crime, chase them away, chase them away, I'm afraid, God charade, pink humble kids on parade. This is your brother, and I have something to say concerning these people. If they do not listen to every minute of every episode of Infants on Thrones, they shall be totally missing out. You can comment on this episode on the website, infantsonthrones.com. And if you really like what you hear, give the quorum money. They could buy anything in this world with money. On second thought, just give the Quorum a five-star rating and write a short review on iTunes. I did. A small token for which they have pledged their eternal souls. Anyone for the closing prayer? Just a spoonful of BS helps the policy go down. The hypocrisy go down, the bigotry go down. Elder D. Todd Christopherson makes the bigotry go down. And you know his brother's gay. So he really understands the issue. Thank you for listening to Infants on Thrones. Infants on Thrones. Why are you still here? Why? We just finished all the Disney stuff. It's done. Turn this podcast off now. There's nothing to see beyond this point but some retreaded disco material from that discussion last week about those women and the priesthood essays on LDS.org. You know, the ones that showed the world just how non-progressive the church is planning to continue to be. But I'll admit, I sort of dig those songs. And these podcast episodes do seem to get more attention when they're closer to an hour in length. 
So sure, now it's time for some groovy Easter egg filler. But no one's twisting your arm to listen. So get out while the getting's good. Hey there, do you love the Mormon church? Do you love disco? That music that made a young, thin, still somewhat heterocurious John Travolta point up to here and then down to there and twist and pose and spin his hands around and around and around, turning otherwise disparate and contradictory physical gestures into a single, unified expression of disco art? Do you also like Mormon history? The way it can be spun around and pointed here and pointed there and have it retroactively say that God has been composing a complex orchestral masterpiece when it's really basically just impromptu. Do what you feel when you feel a disco moves on a dance floor. Well, if you like all that mashed up stuff I just said just right now, then you're in luck. Because today, newly released and newly available at a record store or an internet website near you, we have the best of Mormon disco hits. The officially official and authoritative super awesome companion to LDS.org's collection of history-spinning, floor-to-ceiling-pointing disco dancing essays where the Mormon church, continuing the long-standing traditions of its treasure-seeking prophet, Joseph Smith, does what it has always done best. Who can forget this Mormon disco favorite? All about the importantly important things that priesthood allows for both worthy men and worthy women in our sacred holy temples. Do a little ordinance, promise to slit your throat a bit for love, get in doubt tonight, in doubt tonight. Or how about this nifty little ditty, which explains the origin and line-upon-line evolution of the priesthood, which, I'm sorry, has evolved as far as it's going to evolve, ladies. I was a pure descendant of that righteous father Abraham. My sneaky European seeds of Ephraim made me so pure and can stop humming this classic jam about words and their ever-changing evolutionness, just like God, from Alpha to Omega meetings. What you gonna do? Do you want you some keys? What you gonna do? Be ordained with some keys? Get down with it, hey lady, get down with it, no need for cranking, get down with it, we've got you covered, get down with it, just rediscover, get down with it, there may be history, get down with it, it says we disagree, get down with it, we just can't hide it, get down with it, so we'll redefine it, now how you gonna use it if you really don't know what it is, stop breaking down the walls, get away from sacred walls, ladies, God's the one who gives it so you really ought to point to him, we can't ordain you now. Blame God, it's not our 
fault. Yeah, it is. Get down with it. Hey, ladies. Get down with no it. No need for cranky. Get down with it. You can't correct it. Get down with Just it. Just do it. Accept it. Accept it. And who could not unforget this little trip down memory hole lane? Directly from the brain of a young Joseph the Prophet while gazing upon an even younger Fanny Alger or any of the other dozen or so subsequent serving girls he magnanimously gave to his wife Emma. Girl, I've known you very well. See you growing every day. I've never really loved you. Girl, I've known you you enjoyed that. And now, let me say a few things about the upcoming November 2018 essay contest, our listener essay contest. Yay. So we currently have, I think, 12 essays that have been submitted. Now, a few of those include original songs that were written and performed by the listeners uh, with a brief introduction of who they are and what the song means to them. And there's still room for more of those. So if you want to be involved using either format, a straight-up listener essay or a singer-songwriter submission, email it to us as an mp3 file, please, to infantsonthrones at gmail.com. And once again, for each listener essay, we will ask you listeners to vote for your favorites, and then the winner will be awarded $200. Second place will get $100, and third will get $50, which leads me to Patreon, because Patreon is where the money comes from, you see. Right now, we currently have 231 patrons supporting Infants on Thrones. Now, some of those give as much as $5 per episode with no monthly cap. Incredibly generous. Thank you to those of you who are doing it. Others give $1 per episode with a $1 total monthly cap. It's a range, a variation, a lot of people in between. It's really up to you what you can afford and what you feel like you would like to contribute 
and it fluctuates. People come and go. But each patron, regardless of how much you donate, gets access to Patreon-only content, which currently... I don't know, it's built up over the past 16 months to around maybe 30 or 40 episodes, either audio or video episodes, that haven't been released to the general public. And you'll hear one of those shortly. But I'd like to make a deal with you. I'd like to see that number of patrons go from 231 to 300 by the end of 2018. And if we hit that goal, I'll tell you what, not only will I finish... That Moana song, You're Welcome, parody that I teased you with at the beginning of this episode. We will create another full Disney parody album like the one that you heard today with all new material. What do you say? Deal? I hope so. And we'll make it worth your while because if you sign up on Patreon, you will start getting regular exclusive content like this. Welcome back to Infant Nursery Hour with your host... Glenn Ostland. It's sharing time. Dead inside, dead inside. Every single one of us, the devil inside. Devil inside, devil inside. Every single one of us, the devil inside. Hey there, Patreon supporters. Here you go. Here is another smackdown of Jeremy Gogo Goff, who today is going to explain sort of and not really, but, you know, with with a lot of fun, really bad examples, how Satan lies. Yeah, Satan lies. That's it. So enjoy. Hello, everyone. This is Jeremy Goff with another episode of Dispelling Anti-Mormon Lies, Myths, and Rumors. Today, I'm going to actually be talking about how Satan convinces so many people to fall for his lies. I'm glad you're going to be talking about this, Jeremy, about how it is, how, that Satan convinces so many people with his lies. How do you think it works? Um, Like, what are the mechanisms that Satan uses And how does he use them? Does he whisper the lies directly into our ears? Does he plant thoughts into our heads? Does he actually have access to the thoughts that are in our heads? That's something I always wondered. Can Satan read my mind? Um, Does he inspire people to make music and TV shows and movies and commercials with subversive satanic lies built into it? Or do people just do that on their own and then make him happy with it? Like, what role does he play in influencing people to do this? And does that ever take away people's agency where they just become blind minions of Satan's tactics of spreading all these lies? Does does he do this all himself? Like, or is he the CEO of Evil.Inc. and he has middle management devil cronies that are overseeing all the work of junior devils like in oh what's that c.s lewis book yeah i know i I can hear those listeners that are yelling it to me what is it what is it screw tape letters okay there you go got it and you know also jeremy what would the world be like if satan wasn't around to do all this to spread all these lives lives lies would no one ever be mistaken would no one ever be wrong about anything So I'm really looking forward to this one. I'm really, really interested to hear uh, how Satan 
does all this stuff. Now, with this topic, it's very important to understand. I'm going to go ahead and institute a drinking game right now for those listeners who are not driving a car. Every time we hear that something is really important to understand, take a drink. Drink, drink, drink. I'm going to go ahead and do that. It's very important to understand because a lot of people think that Satan just tells bald-faced lies. Not me, Jeremy. I don't think that Satan tells bald-faced lies because I've seen Satan. He's got like a little goatee on his chin. But Satan tells hairy-faced lies. I don't know. But uh, yeah, okay. All right. So Satan doesn't tell bald bald-faced lies. Okay. Right. Because a lot of people think that Satan just tells bald-faced lies, and that's just not the case. Satan does not tell a bald-faced lie. Typically, what he will do is he'll weave a complex web. And what's the difference between a bald-faced lie and a complex web of lies? <laughs> okay. I mean, these are fun words, but uh, yeah, let's keep going. Before we get started too much, though, I just want to go ahead and ask for a shout-out. Say where you're from. I know that last week we had people from Africa, Australia, Asia, Europe, South America, and North America all tuning in. So it's always fun and you guys just say where you're coming from but i'm going to be talking about the tactics that satan uses in order to convince us that he's telling the truth so the first and foremost it is important to understand what is true truth is not subjective truth is an eternal principle careful here jeremy i might ask you about the truth of adam god or blood atonement or something like that right okay truth is not subjective you and Sam Harris, buddy. You and Sam Harris. And the Dark Doctrine and Covenants actually describes what truth is. It actually does? Does it actually do that, Jeremy? It actually does. And the Dark Doctrine and Covenants actually describes what truth is. It says in Doctrine and Covenants 93:24, And truth is knowledge of things as they are, as they were, and as they are to come. And so that's the, what truth is. When you understand truth, you're going to realize that truth is eternal. Yeah, but... You know, knowledge of things as they were suggests that they're not the way that they were anymore. You know, like the way that things were a hundred years ago aren't the things the way aren't the way that things are now. But but having a knowledge of things as they were a hundred years ago, and having a knowledge of things as they are now, and having a knowledge of things as they will be a hundred years from now. You know, all of those things like that knowledge. I think that's what the DNC scriptures are talking about, right? I mean, it's not saying that things don't ever change because, of course, things change. Everything progresses and changes, right? Nothing stays constant, right? Right? Truth is consistent through all eternity. Oh, right. Like the new and everlasting covenant of plural marriage. As espoused in DNC 132. Okay, yeah, you're right. You got me on that one. Examples of truth. God loves you. Period. The end. He always has, always will, no matter what. Now, another example of truth. In order to be exalted, you have to be married. That's truth. What Satan uses is he uses true things to discourage us from the truth. Wait, did you just say true things to discourage us from the truth? So you're making a distinction between things that are true and things that have a TH after the word true. <laughs> truth? That, Jeremy. So a true thing would be, well, in order to get married, you got to date. 
Not in countries where they have arranged marriages. Well, yeah, you do have to date in order to get married. But not in countries where they have arranged marriages, Jeremy. And dating sucks. <laughs> okay. All right. So maybe we're learning a little bit about the inner workings of the mind of Jeremy Goff on this one. He's having some problems with dating. Dating sucks. Okay. Tell me more, Jeremy. Dating sucks. And so Satan will say, oh, dating sucks. And you look at it and you're like, well, that's true. Dating does suck. And so he tries to get you to avoid the truth by telling you a piece of the truth, a true statement wrapped and calculated to get you to not accept the fullness of it. All right. So what I think that you're saying here, Jeremy, is that you recognize that you're 27 years old. You're living in Provo, Utah. You're single. And you should be getting married because otherwise you're not going to be exalted. And so you're kind of between this rock and a hard place because dating sucks. And so you think that this is the devil trying to discourage you from getting dated, from getting married. You're wondering, will I ever get married because then I have to date and I hate dating. I don't know. I, is there anything else going on, Jeremy? Anything that I could help with? Another example. Joseph Smith is a prophet of God. True statement. It is the truth. Now, Satan will come along and say something that's true only. He'll wrap it in a little bit of a lie and a little bit of deception, trying to get you to not accept the fullness of the fact that Joseph was a prophet. And what he will say is, well, Joseph Smith used a seer stone to translate the Book of Mormon. True statement. Yeah, it, it is a true statement. Where is the deception that it's wrapped in? Where's the little lie that it's wrapped in? I mean, that's just a true statement. Where's, where, where's the other stuff that you said Satan does? But it detracts from the truth. It does? How? Why? What? What are you talking about? And therefore, people will be drawn away from it. Wait, people will be drawn away from, from what? That, that Joseph, the, the truth that Joseph Smith is a prophet? The, the reason that people have a problem when they find out about the seer stone, Jeremy, isn't because they think that that falls outside of the scope of prophetic abilities. It's because the way that the church presents that story the way that the church wraps it in a lie and wraps it in deception is showing all of these pictures of Joseph sitting across from Oliver where they're both looking at the golden plates. It's in plain view. There's no seer stone. There's no hat. There's none of the stuff that actually happened in sight. And it's the church that's doing that. Are you saying that the church is the devil? Are you saying that the church is the devil, Jeremy? Is that what you're saying? Because in that case, you may be right. It's very important to understand Drink. that that's Satan's tactic. In the very next verse in the Doctrine and Covenants, so DNC 9325, it actually outlines that as Satan's tactic. It says, And whatsoever is more or less than this is the spirit of the wicked one who is a liar from the beginning. Yeah, but you're taking that out of context. What is the this that that is referring to? I mean, obviously, in the DNC, Joseph Smith espoused some kind of doctrine that he wanted people to revere with exact precision and saying anything more or less than what I just said is going to be wrong. And you're going to be wrong if you think anything more or less than what I said. I mean, that's a level of rigidity that I can't get behind, but whatever. But I mean, Jeremy, you're not, I don't know, we already know that you don't understand critical thinking skills so dead horse beating it boom the biggest misconception we have about Satan's lies is that they are all bald-faced lies so wait i'm confused are you saying that they are bald-faced lies because earlier you said that they weren't or is this the misconception that i mean it's probably important that everybody understands that they're not but i i don't 
I just don't understand what you're saying about bald-faced lies. Satan couldn't walk up to us and say, Joseph Smith murdered more people than anyone else. No one would believe him. What they, he does is he tries to use a calculated statement to get us to reject the truth. And so anytime someone is trying to tell you something to get you to reject the truth, you know that what they're giving you is not the fullness. Because the fullness of truth will bring us closer to God the Father. Examples of this would be who you are. You are a child of God. That is the truth. All right, if you say so, Jeremy. A statement that many would consider true would be your current circumstance. I'm single. He's gay. What? They're smart. They're dumb. They have kids. Those are not the truth. Wait, what? what? So, I mean... Aside from the fact that you followed up that you are single with he is gay, that's interesting in and of itself, Jeremy, and might explain a little bit why the way that you're going about dating sucks for you. But, and and, and for that, like, I'm very, if that's really what's going on, Jeremy, like, if, if you are attracted to other men and you're feeling like that's wrong and you can't do that and that you're being forced to go down this path that, you know... You don't really want to go down, but you feel like you have to. I mean, maybe that's why you're doing these videos. I don't know, man. But, oh, that, that, if that's the case, it makes, it makes me sad for you, Jeremy. And it makes me want to be a little nicer to you. I'll be honest. Um, but you're saying that you're single, but that that's not true. And these other things that you're saying, I, I don't understand the definition. I guess true is just like whatever prophets say. Or what you? I don't. I'm sorry, Jeremy. I'm just sorry. I'm sorry. God never identifies us as those things. He identifies us as children of God. God never uses a partial truth to identify us. He never identifies us by the conditions of the fall, but the divinity of our creation. That's one of the biggest reasons why the church will not compromise on issues like gay marriage and transgender and all these different things in abortion is because... Because there are no homosexual members of the church. Are you, are you going all Bednar on us here? I mean, you're saying that God doesn't label people. <laughs> oh, Jeremy. That's one of the biggest reasons why the church will not compromise on issues like gay marriage and transgender and all these different things in abortion is because you may have same gender attraction, but that does not mean that you're not a child of God. The child of God is the truth. That is the divinity of your creation. Your current circumstance changes. Yeah. Um, okay. Yeah. So you may have same gender attraction, but you're hoping that that will change. Is that what you're, is that what you're saying here, Jeremy? Same gender attraction may be something you deal with this entire mortal life. Is it? Is is it something that you're dealing with, Jeremy? Because if it is, that's not what you have to deal with. What you have to deal with, if that's really how you feel, and this could go to anybody, not just Jeremy, but if that's really how you feel, what you have to deal with are the people in the systems around you telling telling you that that's wrong, telling you that that's evil, telling you that that's the devil trying to get you. That's the mind fuck, Jeremy. That's what you've got to deal with. Not who you are or how you feel. 
if that is who you are and how you feel. Again, I, I just, my, my heart kind of goes out for you, Jeremy, with this. And I really hope that, um, I don't know. Sorry, man. Sorry. But it's not the way you were before this life. And it's not going to be the way you're going to be after this life. Therefore, it cannot be truth. It is only true because it's temporary. It's a calculated thing to get you to forsake the truth and the fullness of it. And the fullness of the truth is that God loves you. He is our father. He restored the church through the prophet Joseph Smith. We are all his children. The Book of Mormon is true. Another one of the calculated lies Satan will try to tell us is that, oh, well, uh, the Book of Mormon, since it was translated with seer stones and not the Urim and Thummim, it can't be true. Well, you're like, wait a minute. The Book of Mormon is truth because I prayed and I asked God, is this your word? And he said, yes, it was. So the little things that Satan's going to use to distract me should not be able to distract me from what I already know. And that's one of the biggest problems is we negotiate what should be non-negotiable. We take something that we're saying, the Spirit has testified and I've got a witness. And then we throw that witness away and say, well, but i got a question over here. That's not how it works. We're supposed to do the exact opposite. We're supposed to say, well, I'm going to hold to my witness and I'm going to try to figure out this question over here. And if I can't figure out the question, guess what? I still have got my witness. I still know what's truth. I still know and have a testimony. And I'm going to hold to that. Satan gets us to drop that and to let the question become bigger than our answers. So, Jeremy, do, do you think that there aren't any cases where the questions are bigger than the answers or where there's things that, like significant things, where there's questions and there aren't answers and it's not because of Satan? Or, you know, here, here's the other thing about that. A lot of times when there's questions and you say that there aren't any answers, there really are answers. They're just not the answers that you want. And so you pretend that they're not there or you pretend that they are lies from Satan because they contradict what you want them to say. You know, the reason that people, I'm talking about people, the reason that I am able to say with confidence that the Book of Mormon is not true in the sense of being a factual record there's so many reasons for that. You know, I I prayed and had a witness of it at one point too, but then I understood better what that was. And, you know, I had questions, is, is this a reliable way of coming to knowledge? Is this a reliable way of understanding what is true or not? Or is this something else? That was a big question. That maybe you think there's no answer for, but actually there is an answer for. It's just not the answer that I wanted it to be. It's not the answer that I thought. I I wanted I wanted to feel like God was telling me yes, yes, very strongly yes. And that's not actually the answer that it was. I wanted to believe that the Book of Mormon was a true historic record, but it wasn't. It isn't. It's impossible. <laughs> It's very, very clearly a, a, a modern work. I mean, it copies the translation errors from the King James Version of the Bible. I mean, there's so many things in there that... Anyway. Each one of us has more answers and more powerful answers than we will ever have doubts. 
We need to follow the admonition of President Uchtdorf and doubt our doubts before we doubt our faith. Yeah, that's a cute little saying, and I know that it gives you this sense of superiority when you say it. But don't forget. Go go ahead and doubt your doubts. Cool. Doubt your doubts. But don't think that once you've doubted your doubts that you don't need to then go on and doubt your faith. I mean, that's in the statement. Doubt both of them. I don't care what order you do it in. Doubt it, doubt it, question it, investigate it, learn, try. We don't do anybody a credit, especially ourselves in the long run, when we're willing to throw out everything that we know to be true, everything that we know from a testimony, because we have questions. Everyone has questions. I have questions. I've had so many questions in my life. Yeah, I think we've heard a few pretty big ones earlier in what you've said. I've been anti by more people than you can even imagine. Whoa, is that a thing? I've never heard that. I've never heard anybody say, I've been anti like using that as a verb. I've been anti by more people than you can imagine, that you could possibly imagine. What does it mean to be anti That's That's interesting. I have things that come up that I can explain this. I'm like, I don't know. There's not a good answer that I know right now. Or there is, but I just don't want to look at it. And so I'm just going to pretend like it's not there. And mm, da 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 what? La, 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 la. I can't hear you. But what I do know outweighs what I don't know. And what I do know, Joseph's a prophet. The church is true. The Book of Mormon is yeah, that's right. Go ahead and take your time. Try to find the right word. What is the Book of Mormon? The Book of Mormon is... The Book of Mormon is the Word of God. Thomas Monson was a prophet. Russell Nelson is the prophet. That, that was a pretty good catch there. I mean, you, maybe you have to watch the video to see the look on his face when he went, oh shit, I don't mean Thomas S. Monson. But he just like rolled with it. He went, oh, like, Thomas S. Monson is dead. I mean, Russell M. Nelson. Okay, I'm going to turn this into a, yeah, Thomas S. Monson was, Russell Nelson is. Okay, yeah, that's good. I fixed it. <laughs> it just goes to show how all of this stuff is just totally on automatic in your brain. Just automatically. That's, that's the sign of the brainwashing right there. Like the time when I was a little kid and I had memorized my home address and I had memorized the Pledge of Allegiance, and I had memorized the way that I was supposed to respond when I would answer the phone. Uh, you know, And so like, I picked up the phone once when it was ringing. I was probably five or six years old and said, uh, and instead of saying, what, what was it? Because I drilled it in. I, I used to be called Chip. That was my nickname when I was a kid, by the way. So I was like, Oslin Residence, Chip speaking, who is it, please? You know, I had to memorize that and drill that into my head. Um, And so I picked up the phone and said, I pledge allegiance to the flag because I was mixing up the things that I had like programmed into my brain. So kind of what Jeremy just did right now with Thomas Monson. Anyway, let's go back to Jeremy. I don't understand why they do everything, but I understand enough. I've got a testimony of the truth and I'm going to hold to the truth. I'm not going to allow a little lie by Satan to distract me. Satan has a lot of tactics that he uses to attack us. Let's just call those a tactics. Huh? I mean, it, it'll help you with how fast you talk anyway, Jeremy. Let's just say, let's just call it these are Satan's a tactics. The tactics that he used to attack us with. There is a tactics, a tactics. 
But it's important to understand these things, isn't it? And Satan's tactics can be dispelled by understanding... Close enough. Drink. By understanding his tactics. President uh, Benson said that a study of Satan's methods can alert us to his seditions. I'm going to go ahead and post in the comments here an article I actually written with the help of my philosophy professor, my English professor, and my institute professor about Satan's tactics and how we can expose them. Because there are eight major tactics Satan uses to destroy the Latter-day Saints. Wow. Eight of them, huh? That's really specific. All right. Let's dig into these tactics. The first tactic he uses is half-truths, like I just went over. The next tactic he uses is irrelevant appeals. Okay. I, I think you're saying irrelevant appeals. So, like, uh, bringing up stuff that is irrelevant to the actual issue at hand. I would just want to make sure I understand this before we go further. Is that what it is? I think that's what it is. And if it is, if that's actually what it is, Jeremy, you are in so much trouble, my friend. So much trouble. Irrelevant tactics. Yeah. Irrelevant appeals is when he's just trying to distract you. When you're like, the Book of Mormon is true. And he goes, there's no evidence. There's no this. And he starts getting, no, no, that's not the question. I wasn't saying there's evidence for the Book of Mormon. I wasn't trying to say that Joseph Smith translated the Urim and Thummim. I'm saying, I prayed. I got a testimony. God told me it's true. And he tries to distract you. So with an irrelevant appeals. But Jeremy, in order for something to be an irrelevant appeal, it first must be irrelevant. So if you say the Book of Mormon is true, and my response to it is, well, there's no evidence that it is true, that is a highly relevant response to the claim that the Book of Mormon is true. So I think that you don't know what irrelevant means. That's the only takeaway here from the example that you gave. And, and and then your response to that, well, I didn't say that there was evidence for it. I just said that it was true. Wow. Okay. I, all right. Another one is ad hominem where he does a personal attack. But rather than attack the topic, he attacks the person. We see this most prominently in politics. I don't know. I see it pretty prominently in Mormon apologetics. Rather than attacking the, the message of somebody, we attack them the messenger and we decide if we can slander and assassinate them then their message will be destroyed satan does that all the time you know what a very common way of ad hominem attacking people is um to tell them that they are agents of satan to tell them that what their message is is a lie from satan that they are being influenced by satan um that is an example of an ad hominem. I can never say that right. Ad hominem. It's like, I'm just going to call it like red M&Ms. A red M&M attack uh, is when, it, it, the reason it's red because the devil, okay, that's stupid. Next one is um, appeals to the stone. That one's not a really common phrase. My uh, philosophy professor explained it, that an appeal to the stone is just when you say, well, that's absurd. And you don't, you don't back up your claim. You just say, that's absurd. All right, Jeremy. Well, I will keep a very close eye on this one. And if I ever see you doing it, I will be sure to point that out, that you're being influenced by Satan, that Satan is the hand that's sticking up your puppet hole and making you say it. We'll, we'll point that out when and if it ever happens. Satan does this all the time with the restoration. God appearing to 14-year-old boy? That's absurd. Oh, it's Satan who says that, is it? It's not like people who think that it's absurd. It's Satan. 
Okay. Oh, wow. You don't need to explain why that's absurd. You say it's absurd. God saying that the blacks had to wait for the priesthood and then they're giving it in a later time. That's absurd. You just don't even explain it. Just absurd. The problem with saying that is any look at it, you start to realize there's holes everywhere. Why would God appearing to 14 year old you be absurd? What's, what's a good reason? They can't produce one. They who? Are you talking about Satan? Or are you talking about ex-Mormons or anybody who doesn't believe in Mormonism? Or maybe anybody who thinks that God appearing to Joseph Smith is absurd? Um, I mean, do you really want examples? I don't think you even really want examples. You know, you just want to believe that there's holes, uh, that that there's no way that anybody could... Uh, challenge or critique God appearing to a 14-year-old boy as being absurd. They can't, there couldn't possibly be any reasons to support that. That's what you want to think, right? That's absurd. Their appeal to the stone was just appeal saying it's absurd. I'm throwing it away. The next type of attack Satan uses is appeals to authority. I'm starting to think that maybe Satan isn't just the father of lies but is also the father of logical fallacies here. <laughs> that, that may be something that's going on. We see this all the time, especially with the, uh, the book of Abraham. Yes, and all the time that you make an appeal to an authority like President Nelson or President Monson or President Uchtdorf or President Benson or yada, 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 yada appeals to authority, and then you don't actually explain why the argument is a good argument. It's just because they said so. That's appeal to authority. You're getting your sources from Satan, Jeremy. We see this all the time, especially with the uh, the Book of Abraham. Leading Egyptologists have said that the Book of Abraham remnants that we have don't match what the Book of Abraham says, and so they've tried to cite authority to make you question testimony. Problem is, that's actually a multifaceted lie because a the part of the Book of Moses, uh, not Book of Moses, Book of Abraham that was translated that we have left is only the tattered edges, not the document that Joseph translated. I think you need to update your apologetics, Jeremy. I, I mean, if I remember right, even the essay on LDS.org about the Book of Abraham dispels that lie or, or, or mistake. Anyway, So, of course, the tattered edges that were cut off pre-translation aren't going to match the translation because that's not what was translated. That was the tattered edges. The actual documents themselves, we don't know what happened to them. It's presumed that they were destroyed in the fire of Chicago. They have leading archaeologists and treasure hunters looking for them, but no one's been able to find them, so it's assumed they've been destroyed. Yeah, the church has archaeologists and treasure hunters looking for the tattered fragments of the book of Abraham. That's beautiful. Thank you for that, Jeremy. That put a smile on my face. Another one that Satan uses is a false dilemma. He says, well, if I was God, I'd do this. Because it's not this way, there's no God. That's actually super simple. You're not God. You're just not. So therefore, you can't say, if I was God, I'd do this, and therefore there's no God, because you don't understand what God understands. His ways are not your ways. Therefore, that's a false dilemma. It's just made up. Yeah, you know, you're still flipping back and forth between things that Satan does, lies that Satan tells, and things that people who are opposing the message of the gospel do. Like, is there no distinction for you between Satan and these people who are 
you know, saying something like, well, if I was God, I would do it this way. I'm not even sure that's a false dilemma. I don't, I, I don't, I don't know enough and I don't care enough to get into that. But you see, you keep flipping back and forth between Satan and people who challenge the church. Critics of the church will say that. So that any critic of the church then becomes Satan. But what's, what's the, I hate the word Satan, Satan. In Japanese, Satan means scriptures. Say is sacred and ten is the text. Satan. Neat, huh? But uh, what is the mechanism for the devil doing this, getting critics to be critical? How is that not just a person's mind and being skeptical and critical and having questions and demanding better answers and demanding better evidence and, you know, that that is Satan? Uh, you know what? That's ridiculous. The next one is appeals to the people. This appeals to the people is something Satan uses all the time. While everyone's doing it, the majority of the country supports abortion. Therefore, it should be okay. No, the majority of people said God doesn't exist. Does that mean he disappears? No. At the end of the day, an appeal to the people is really an appeal to the lowest common denominator. And those common denominators typically in place by Satan. Oh, there are so many things wrong with what you just said there, Jeremy. First of all, you know, and this was one of the biggest things that made me start feeling so uncomfortable about the church is the elitism, the arrogance. I mean, even thinking about people who don't accept the beliefs that you accept as the lowest common denominator, that you're so far above people, um, it's so problematic. I mean, th- that's that's like the milk that you drink that's making you that way. The milk of the gospel, the milk of the message of the church, this elitist, arrogant attitude and then the, the the lowest common denominator, these people that you're calling stupid, are stupid because Satan made them that way? Dang. Dang. That's absurd. And the final one is hasty generalizations. Satan wants us to generalize. He wants us to say, I had a bad experience with the bishop, therefore the prophet ain't camp. He's not the prophet. If you think about that, that's ridiculous. Wait, what did you just do? Jeremy, Jeremy, the devil's got a hold of you. He made you say it was ridiculous without explaining why, Jeremy. A hasty generalization is where we let offense destroy our testimony. We let something one person said become the stumbling block that we're like, nope. Brother Brigham said this once, I can't be a member of the church anymore because I can't deal with that. And you throw the entire thing away. You hastily generalize and say, one issue causes the whole trend to derail. Hasty generalizations are hogwash because 99% of the time, a hasty generalization is made off of false information. (laughs) Really? 99% of the time, a hasty generalization is based off of faulty information? I'm glad you don't do hasty generalizations any more than you turn over the stone or whatever that ridiculous thing was. Jeremy. Oh, you're you're like a little puppy chasing its tail. 
a broken tail, a broken puppy chasing its broken tail. That's what you are with the pink bow tie on. And so I'm going to post the article that actually goes a little more in depth with each of these things. Um, but it's really important to remember Drink. that and I have a lot of people ask me this. They message me every week saying, well, I'm dealing with one of my friends who's anti and he's got this question or that question. What you can do to someone who's anti is love them. Yes. Love them long time. You're going to try to discuss with them. It's not going to go very well. Right, because they know how to think and you don't. These videos aren't made for people who are anti-Mormons. Yeah, well, we're changing that, aren't we? These videos are made for members of the church who have to deal with it all the time. Ultimately, the most important thing to remember... Drink. ...is what President... Oh, not President. Elder Maxwell said. Yeah, let's not do an appeal to authority drinking game because I don't think we'll get past... I mean... That, that will die of alcohol poisoning. Elder Maxwell said, studying the church only through the eyes of his defectors is like interviewing Judas to understand Jesus. What's wrong with that? Why wouldn't you interview every single person you could who had access to Jesus to get a better sense of how people viewed him? I didn't come from Elder Maxwell. Oh, well, Elder Maxwell said it, so there can't be anything wrong with that. Never mind. That's what it comes down to, is you can love them. Love them long time. <laughs> You're not going to convince them. They have to come <laughs> and humble themselves and repent of their sins and repair broken covenants and promises and obligations with God. You can't do that for them. No matter proving or evidence is going to cause somebody to let go of their question and hold to their faith. They have to choose that they're going to be honest with God and themselves and actually be accountable for what they know. And guess what, Jeremy? Speaking for myself, that was exactly the approach that I took. That was exactly the approach that I took, especially when I started recognizing that these priesthood leaders of mine, bishops and whatnot, I wasn't going to let them stand in between me and God. I was going to be personally responsible myself for for my relationship with God, for my choices, for what I was questioning for what I was doing. And that was all grounded in a faith that I had and a witness that I had received that I had a personal relationship with Jesus Christ and that he understood me better than anybody else and that he understood the sincerity of my heart and that he understood the sincerity of my questions. And that gave me the confidence to be able to go down the rabbit hole that eventually helped me see what you're not able to see right now, this house of cards that you're living in, that you keep flipping over different cards and going, see, this is why this is a good one. This is why it'll never fail. This is why this is a great house. This is why it'll never fail. President Maxwell and other people. So, you know, your whole condescension thing about you just love them. What, what the hell does that even mean? Just love them. They're the ones that are lost. They're the ones that are wrong. There's the ones that are stubborn. They're the ones that aren't humble. They're the prideful ones. Just love them. Yeah, that's a great job of loving them. No wonder dating sucks for you, Jeremy. No wonder. Pink bow tie boy. Because ultimately, each one of us has enough that we know to be accountable to, to live the gospel. Don't let your doubts overpower your faith. Feed your faith. Your doubts will starve to death. You all have a great rest of your Sabbath. Bye.